The following podcast is a production of Mosaic in Whittier, California, a community of faith, hope, and love. For more information about Mosaic gatherings and events, please visit mosaic.org. Thanks so much for being here this morning. Um, we are continuing in this series on wonder. Uh, and I know we've talked through last week nature, and, and that was really fun to hear Tavo talk about nature and being outside and not hating it. Um, and this week, we're actually going to talk about rest and peace. And it's funny because when Octavio had uh, sent the, the list of topics out um, that I could take a choice and, and talk from, I was looking through that list and, and this one just stood out to me primarily because it's the one I struggle with the most. And then Matt, my awesome husband over here, he also affirmed that I should share on that. Uh, so that way I would kind of have to grapple with some of this stuff. So thank you, Matthew. Um, yeah, rest and peace, uh, this wonder that seems to be a universal for all of us, that we all crave rest, we all crave peace. Uh, and, you know, you think about how this works out sometimes in our, our daily lives, you know, we wake up on Monday morning and all we're thinking about is the weekend. Uh, maybe you've worked for 30 years, um, or maybe you're in your 30s thinking about working for 30 more years, and all you can think about is retirement. Um, you work 48 weeks out of the year to get two weeks of vacation time and maybe a, a long Christmas holiday. But we constantly, when we're in our work mode, are thinking about when we get to stop, when we get to take a break, when we get to have a reprieve. And I'm wondering... And I'm going to propose this this morning, and we're going to talk through it through the scriptures. If rest is not more than just a break, or more than just a reprieve or a vacation, but rest is actually a state of being. It's something we can be and not just something we do. And it's often when we try to do it <laughs> that we end up not resting uh, in the first place. And hopefully that's going to make a little more sense uh, as we talk uh, together uh, this morning. Uh, it was funny, as I was preparing for this, I ran across a quote from an author, Susan Ernst. I don't know who she is, but she's a writer. And she made the statement, it's interesting how millions of us long for immortality who don't know what to do on a rainy Sunday afternoon. And I was like, that, that does, it encapsulates it, that we, we seem to have this longing for a long life and this rest, and maybe you have this picture in your head of the Greek gods just sitting on Mount Olympus eating grapes and olives. I don't know what they'd do there. But, uh, you know, this immortality, but yet when it comes to actually getting to that break, getting to that rest, maybe you make it to the vacation, you make it to the weekend, you make it to retirement, but I think you could get there and still not actually have rest and peace. And interestingly enough, after Matt had so intuitively said, yeah, you should talk on that. Uh, about three, four weeks ago, um, my back actually went out. And I'd been putting off going to the doctor for about eight months, but finally I just hit a wall. And it was excruciating pain. I was not a happy camper. And I was crying, which Matt did not really know what to do with, because I don't typically cry when I'm in pain. Uh, and so he was trying his best just to help me out. But for the first time in a long time, probably since I'd you know, lived with my parents and like had my tonsils out, I was immobilized. Problem is, I don't do immobilized. <laughs> I don't do rest. 
And it was interesting just being laid up um, flat on my back for a few days uh, and also having to go to the doctor and kind of accruing some expensive medical bills where I was just like, oh, how is this going to work out? One, I'm in pain and I I don't know when it's going to end. And two, I'm so burdened by how on earth we're going to cover these things financially. And so I was just worried and angsty. And so here I am resting but rest was the farthest thing from my experience. And I'm going to just throw out as a, a postulation, just a, a thought, that maybe that is where some of, of y'all are today too. Where maybe you've gotten to those points of reprieve, but they haven't been enough. They haven't actually caused you to rest yeah, they were a break, but it wasn't true rest and peace. And so what's so fortunate, uh, fort- well, one thing, I'm upright now. Um, so the back is doing better, yay. Uh, thank you, prayer and physical therapy and a sweet husband. Uh, but all those things together, that's awesome. But I'm still grappling with, okay, God, I, I do believe that you've created this universal longing that's across cultures. Uh, it's across time. It's across... Uh, Everything that, that people everywhere long for something more, <laughs> something more than just a break, um, but this, this rest as an idea, as a state of being. And so, um, like I was saying, fortunately, the scriptures address this. And if you remember, if you were here last November, I spoke out of um, the letter of Hebrews, and I'm actually going to speak there again today. And this letter, it's really beautiful. We don't actually know who wrote it, uh, but it's essentially a long argument stating that faith in this new way, this, this Jesus guy, is so much better and more fulfilling than the way of the, the old way of doing things, which for the Jews, the Israelites, way, way, way back in the Old Testament times, they had put their rest and their hope a lot in the law. And so what the author of Hebrews is doing is presenting this huge argument on, hey, there is, a, there is a different kind of rest that you can now have and that you can enter into. And so we're going to look at a few verses, but they're going to seem a little bit confusing. Um, and so I want to give just a little bit more background on them. But essentially, the Israelite nation was a group of people. And if you've seen, anybody seen Prince of Egypt? A few, okay, awesome, great music. Whitney Houston, I mean... Come on. Um, but Prince of Egypt, really great encapsulation there of this, this whole nation of people that were kept in slavery for 400 years. And they cried out to their God, and were, they were saying, deliver us. We, we can't do this any longer. And so God raises up a deliverer, and his name was Moses. And uh, he had a speckled past, uh, but God still uses him. And he uses him and several miraculous events to bring this whole group of Israelites out of Egypt and into this desert period of, of their, their time before they entered into this land God had promised them. Well, it's kind of funny because if you read this, and the story's all accounted for in Exodus if you ever get a chance, um, but what's so ironic is that when God had brought this people out of Egypt, he'd done like 10 pretty crazy things, these plagues, these massive nationwide uh, supernatural events to convince Pharaoh to let them get out of there and not be under his uh, slave force any longer. And then God brings them out walks them through the Red Sea, which again, Prince of Egypt, pretty cool, even in cartoon, 
walls of, you know, water, and I think they, there was a whale, if y'all remember that, okay. Um, <laughs> I was pretty amazed by that. And so they walk through, but then when they get to the desert, uh, God says, hey, so this, I, I didn't bring you out of Egypt so you could chill out in the desert. Actually, I brought you out of Egypt so that you could eventually enter into this land of promise. And this actually was hearkening back to this promise God had made to Abraham hundreds of years before the people of Israel were even in captivity in Egypt. So in Genesis 12, he'd made this promise to this guy named Abraham. And from Abraham, the whole nation of Israel came from him and his family. And God had said to him that he would bless him, make his name great, uh, make his descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky, and that he would bless him with land and that through him all nations would be blessed. So you fast forward a few hundred years, you have the Israelites. God has totally come through on the descendants part. I mean, the Israelites numbered and there's estimates between 400,000 and 2 million were coming out of Egypt into this, this wilderness time. And so... They had, they had become numerous, they knew who God was, yet this part of the promise that God was going to let them enter into this land, it just didn't seem to, to mesh with their experience because they sent out 12 spies into this land. And the 12 spies go out and 10 of them come back and they're like, dude, no way. These, these people that inhabit this land, they're huge, they're powerful, they're scary, not going to happen. But two of the guys said, no, you know, if God is with us, we can do this. We could totally go into this land like God has said we could. But the 400,000 to 2 million Israelites sided with the 10 and not the two. And so what happened because of that, God says to them, you know, because of your unbelief, this generation is not going to enter into that promised land. They're not going to enter into the land of rest. And so the author of Hebrews is actually taking a look at that scenario of how the Israelites had been given this opportunity to trust that God is who he says he is and to follow him into this land that they had been promised. But they didn't, they didn't believe it. They didn't actually believe God was who he says he was. They believed instead that they look strong and we look really weak. So we're not gonna do that. And so. God actually allowed them to wander the desert for 40 years until that whole generation died before God allowed them to enter into the promised land. And even then, a lot of turmoil, and they still didn't do it the way that God ultimately wanted them to. But that's another story for another day. So that's where the author of Hebrews is picking up. And interestingly, he's taking the perspective of King David on how David, who came from the people of Israel hundreds of years after that uh, wilderness wandering and after they'd taken some land, he became the king of that nation hundreds of years later. And so King David looks back on that wilderness period and interprets it. And so then the author of Hebrews takes David's perspective and interprets that. And so that's why I just, before we dig in, it just, it's going to seem really confusing at first, but it's because the author of Hebrews is actually interpreting the Old Testament through the lens of what Jesus Christ has now done through his life and death on the cross. So if you'll bear with me, I really think this will all come out in the end. So just rest. And, and it'll be fun. So if you've got your Bibles, cool. If not, it'll be on the screen behind me. But Hebrews 4 is where we're going to take a peek. Hebrews 4, 
in the first three chapters, um, basically, the writer is saying, so Jesus Christ is higher than the angels. There was angel worship going on during this time period. So he's saying he's higher than the angels, and then he's going to move into he's also higher than Moses. Now, you think this letter was written to people who had trusted in Christ but had a very strong Jewish background. So for you to say Jesus was greater than Moses was like, whoa. I don't know about that. Kind of like, who's your daddy? My daddy's Moses. It's really cool. You're saying Jesus is cooler. So he's making an argument, and the whole letter is arguing that so that the people that would be the first hearers of this letter could stand firm in their faith because they were being persecuted to the point of death at the time that this letter was written. So it's written so that they would stand firm and know, wait, beyond a shadow of a doubt, it is worth me tasting death because this stuff is real. Jesus Christ has made a way for me to know God in a new and fresh way that even superseded the way of our forefathers, even though they were awesome and rockin'. Now there's a new, more awesome and rockin' way to connect to God. That's the background, and here we are in chapter four. And we're just gonna look a few verses at a time so we can break it down together. So he says, therefore, and the reason he says therefore is because he's just made this argument that the promised land was accessible to the people of Israel, but they didn't enter into it because of unbelief, which is what he says here. Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. For good news came to us just as to them, but the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened." So we just summarize what we said here, that God had promised them this land. He said, hey, I'm God. I can deliver. I'm big enough. Remember those 10 plagues? Yeah, I did that. Remember the parting of the Red Sea? Yeah, that, that was me too. Remember the manna from heaven that's fed you while you're in the desert? This like mystical bread that appears every morning like dew on the ground? Yeah, I, I'm, I'm the one behind that. But if you don't want to trust me that I can help you come into this land of promise and rest, God, God, couldn't, God couldn't force them to make a choice. It was still their choice. It was still their choice to trust. And so, again, that first verse, the author of Hebrews is saying, I don't want you now hearing this, and it applies to us today because we're under the same new covenant of grace through Jesus Christ we are under that same banner of rest that we too can enter this rest that the author of Hebrews is talking about. And it's different though from the rest of the Israelites because the rest for the Israelites was a land. For us, it is a state of being. So there's several meanings that the author of Hebrews here is communicating. And he talks in verse two, he says, that good news came to us just as to them, but when they heard it, it didn't benefit them. Interestingly, that word for good news it's actually the word for the gospel. So it's weird because we often think of the gospel today as like, oh, Jesus Christ and the cross. But the good news actually applies to any communication between God and humanity, telling humanity how to access him. So the people under the, the law, the Israelites, they were given the good news of how to access God. The content, though, was different of that message because for them to access God was follow these laws. 
It was go through the Levitical priesthood to access God. It was sacrifice animals to cover your sins so that God's wrath wouldn't come down on you. Very different scenario from what the author of Hebrews argues the remainder of this letter that Jesus Christ is the new high priest. He is the ultimate sacrifice as well, saying that now through Jesus Christ, you have access to God. So the content of the good news, the gospel, was different, but both of them were that you can access God. And when you access God, you enter his rest, when you trust that he is who he says he is. So, of course, it is that hard part in the second half of chapter, or verse two, he says, because they were not united by faith with those who listened. They, they saw these great things that God had done, but yet they didn't believe that he could do honestly a very simple thing, which would be to get them into the promised land. Compared to what God had done, I mean, that was like, you know, not a big deal. It's like a, well, I was gonna say the Lakers, I don't really wanna bring that up, but like a professional basketball team, you know, being awesome, rocking out six national championships or something like that, and then uh, being like, well, I don't really wanna play that middle school team because they might beat us. I mean, Okay, God just did all this rock and awesome stuff, and now you're saying, well, he's not good enough to do this, this next seemingly very small task for God. And so they didn't enter into that rest. So that's the point of all of this that I just said, verses one and two. They didn't enter that rest because of unbelief. Then verse three, for we who have believed enter that rest. As he has said, as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest, although his works were finished from the foundation of the world. Now again, this seems really confusing, but what uh, the author of Hebrews is doing is quoting some from Psalms 95, which was David's recollection of the events that happened to the Israelites in their desert wilderness period. And we don't have time to read through the whole thing, but he's quoting from that and now interpreting it. And so basically saying, God said to the Israelites, you won't enter my rest because you don't believe. And then he moves on and and grounds that rest in the creation of the world. So this just gets heavy, heavier and heavier, how many levels the author of Hebrews is going to here to say the rest of God still exists. The Israelites didn't enter into it. You have entered into it by your faith in God, and we know that that rest still exists because of God creating it in the very beginning. So he's drawing them back to the creation account of Genesis, saying, okay, six days of work, and then God rested. Did God need to rest? I mean, the, the, the maker of all things, and I mean, I'm not saying that it wasn't a big deal when God made things, but I mean, he typically just spoke, and it was. So, I mean, did he really need to rest from that? No. No, he set that up as a model for us that we need to rest and take breaks. And you know what was so great for me when I was having all that back stuff and was laid out? It was like, oh, wait, the world is still turning and I'm here. Huh. So I guess it's not that I'm not important. I don't want to down anybody's value, but like, I'm not big enough to stop the world from turning. You know, my job, my coworkers, they still did a great job without me there. My friends, they're still my friends. You know, the commitments that I had that I ended up having to cancel on, it's okay. 
I mean, I'm not Jack Bauer. I couldn't, I can take a day off like that. So, and, and it was so healthy for me, so healthy for me who I am so based, and we'll get into this in a little bit later, um, but I'm so based in achievement and performance and striving and, and doing um, that it was so healthy for me to see that I could be out of commission for three or four days and everything was okay. And I think that's one of the reasons God set up that day of rest for this whole nation of his people to take their seventh day and not work and to see that God still provided for them. And you want to know something else that was crazy that they did in the Old Testament? Every seventh year, they wouldn't actually harvest. So they would plant and work for six years, and the seventh year was a Sabbath year of rest. And they would not plant crops or harvest them for a year. Now you imagine being a a different nation, a neighboring nation, and you're like, whoa, what are those people doing? Do, well, they're, they're not doing anything. How, what, what is going on? Why aren't they out working like we are? I mean, this is agrarian societies. They depended on their daily work for their daily bread. How are they taking a year off? And it, the point was, was to show that God was going to provide for them. That Yahweh, the God of Israel, was going to provide for them. And that was going to set them apart from the other nations. Now, I'm not going to recommend for you to try that approach, um, primarily because we're not Israel and we're not under a theocracy and the rules have changed a little bit in the past 3,000 years. But that idea, though, that principle that still undergirds why God had them do that, of how important rest is just for us to see how non-essential we are. There is something very healthily unnarcissistic about that. Now, again... Don't internalize that as you're not valuable. You're all very valuable. But the world is still going to be okay if we take a break. So anyways, I just find value in and of that, in and of itself in that. Okay, so he grounds us in the creation account and then goes on, verse 4, For he has somewhere spoken of the seventh day in this way, and God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And I love that he says, and somewhere he's spoken about this, because they didn't have verse numbers and chapter numbers, you know, in their holy scriptures. So when he's saying, and somewhere, God's spoken about this, he means Genesis. <laughs> you know, like Genesis 1 and 2, when, when God created things and then he rested Yeah, that's the somewhere he's talking about. So he grounds this in what was so good before things went chaotic. Rest was intentional. Work was also intentional, but so was rest. And I think sometimes we just go to one extreme or the other. We're just workaholics um, or we're lazy. And there's a big difference between being lazy and being restful. I think laziness is when we don't work and we expect We have this sense of entitlement toward the benefits of other people's labor. That's laziness. That is not what I'm talking about. (laughs) So rest is very different. Rest is still an active state of being, but it involves taking breaks. It involves kind of this idea of Sabbath. Okay, so he continues in verses 5 and 6. And again, in this passage, he said, so now he's going back to Psalms 95. I mean, you get what, I mean, this, this author is like going... Psalms, Genesis, Psalms, and his audience would have been totally trekking because more than likely they knew this stuff by heart because of their Jewish background. 
So here he flips again and he says, uh, they shall not enter my rest. Verse six, since therefore it remains for some to enter it and those who formerly received the good news failed to enter because of disobedience or unbelief. It's a, um, a word that has both uh, ranges of meaning. Uh, and then it, verse seven, again, he appoints a certain day today because he's quoting from Psalms 95, saying through David so long afterward, and the words already quoted, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. What we've got going on here is this picture, this reference point of the Israelites, and the author of Hebrews saying, hey, don't be like them. Don't be like the Israelites who saw great and awesome wonders, but still did not trust that God is who he says he is. And they forfeited entering into the land of rest and being a people of rest. Don't be like that. Trust that God is who he says he is. And then the rest of the letter is him unpacking what that is. And it comes down to that Jesus Christ has opened this way for us to enter his rest, which is the work is completed. We have absolutely nothing to do now to secure a right relationship with God besides just trusting that that's what he wants for us. And that's what he, he bought for us with his own blood. So the rest is very different, and that's why the, the letter is all about this comparison, that this rest is so much more intense and awesome, even though he doesn't use those words, or she, could be he or she, uh, doesn't use those words, but this, it is a very intense kind of rest. And so as you're kind of thinking, and hopefully that was all clear, that rest is something attainable, it's something God wants for us, and the way that we enter into that is believing that God is who he says he is. And one of the primary ways we do that today is that, that Jesus Christ has come and he has essentially paid everything for you just as you are to be connected to God. That he has opened this way of peace. I mean, you think about even Ephesians 6 talks about the shoes of the readiness of the gospel of peace. I mean, the gospel is all about peace and connection to this ultimate rest, this state of being, even in the midst of activity. But as you're grappling with that, okay, that may sound all well and good, awesome, you show me some scriptures, it's there, what in the world do I do with that? Because <laughs> I do think we have these inhibitors to our rest. And I just picked out a few in my head because these are in my experience, um, and they still are my experience. But I know for me, worry is such a huge issue. And even when I was sharing on the whole back thing, just worry consumed my thoughts. How, how are we going to make this work? But at the root of that, what was happening is I wasn't believing that God was faithful, that God was going to come through. And to kind of spoiler alert into the story on the whole back thing, not only am I standing upright, but he's come through financially. And, you know, at the last minute, well, to me, <laughs> at the last minute, but for him it was his perfect timing because that's what, that's probably why he was waiting, was for me to get there, was for me to be at that place of saying, okay, I get it. You are in control. I can't, I can't do this. So that when that financial uh, blessing came through, when it did, it was like, oh, awesome. This is not my salvation. 
that, that financial you know, blessing coming through. That wasn't the blessing. It was the fact that God was the provider of that so that it wasn't like, oh, awesome, now everything's gonna work out. Because you know what? Other things are gonna happen. Who knows what life holds? That, that financial blessing's not gonna sustain us through all the thick and thin and the trials and stuff that, that we'll go through. Um, so it's more of this understanding that, that God is faithful. So maybe for you, it's worrying over who you're going to date or who you're going to marry. Or maybe you have, you're a couple and, and you desperately want kids. And frankly, Mother's Day and Father's Day are just really tough days for you, especially coming to church and just hearing, you know, this glorification of motherhood and fatherhood, which honestly, it's an awesome thing. But how hard that is for you to trust that, that God is still in control, even of whether or not you're having kids. And again, there is that we cooperate while we rest. We still work alongside God in partnership while we rest in his plans and his direction. So, I mean, you, you're still seeking out options. You're still trying to do the best you can. But at the same time, at the end of the day, end of the day recognizing, I, I'm just not in control of everything. And you know what I've realized over these past three, four weeks kind of working on this talk was I am so glad I am not in control of things, which is just so weird for me as a control freak. Ask Matt or any of my friends. And I'm just so glad that I'm not in control. So this idea of worry, uh, what's going to happen, the unknown, our future, another really big thing tying into my whole control freakness uh, Self-reliance. This whole, well, I'm just going to pull myself up by my bootstraps, just plow on through it. I mean, I'm the one that can do it better than anybody else, so it may as well just be me. I'll make it work. And that is such an inhibitor to our rest because this is what we're doing to our situations. We are just clinching them in this vice grip. No, no, it's up to me to make this work. No, it's not. <laughs> Again, there's balance, we're cooperating, but things that are outside of our control, we've got to rest and just say, okay, I'm going to just believe that God is who he says he is. Because you know what? What we put our rest in determines if we are resting. What we put our rest in determines if we are resting. So if it's yourself, it's going to fall flat one day or you're just going to burn out, bottom line. Uh, worrying, not going to work. Comparison another really big rest inhibitor of when you walk into a room and you're just looking around and, okay, am I prettier than so-and-so? Am I, you know, better dressed than so-and-so? What car is so-and-so driving? How smart is this other person? I mean, comparison robs you of resting in who you are and just being grateful that you are who you are and trusting, again, the underlying principle, trusting that, that God didn't make a mistake. He, he intended you to be the way that you are right now. And he loves you and he values you more than you can ever imagine. So that when you walk into a room, if you are resting in that truth, you then start to love and value other people out of the knowledge that you are loved and valued, no matter what. So, uh, by the way, high schoolers, I know y'all are in here today. High schoolers and middle schoolers. Huh, Trey, wow, solitary hand. Ah, oh, there you are, awesome. Um, do y'all have senior superlatives at your school? Like, so-and-so got most such-and-such such or best such-and-such. Y'all such. have that? You think so? Okay. My high school had this, and I just think this illustrates the point um, beautifully. 
Um, senior superlatives uh, were big, I guess, in Georgia, maybe out here too, apparently. Uh, but I got the award most likely to succeed. Now, what's interesting about that is it was just a beautiful, shiny mask covering up my incredible insecurity of fearing to fail. I mean, that's, that's essentially what my, my superlative should have said, most likely to fear failure, <laughs> as opposed to most likely to succeed. Because I could make all A's in a semester, and, and it just, it wouldn't matter because I knew the next semester I'd have to do the same thing. And it was like, I might go, <sighs> for a second, but as soon as that breath had escaped and my XL was finished, I was back in the rat race of having to perform. If I wasn't the president of a club, if I was just a participant, that was not enough. I mean, there was at one point where I was president of three clubs at one time and was running for presidency in two others. <laughs> Hello? I should have had more psychologist friends as a child. That would have just been helpful. But anyways, now Matt just gets to have me work out all my baggage. Um, so, you know, but just this, this craving to, to succeed and this incredible fear of, of failing and thinking that I could finally get to this place where I had achieved enough. If any of you get there, let me know. But I, I, I really, just seeing in my own life, I don't think you can get there. Uh, a friend of mine who got best dressed saw her wear jeans one time in the four years that we were in high school together. And again, if that's you, that's cool, that's awesome. Um, pfft, clearly, that's not me. Um, but it, for her and just knowing her, she had such a fear of being ugly of not being pretty enough. And so no matter how big her wardrobe got or how many compliments she got, I know to this day, it's still not enough. And the guy that got most original, his biggest fear was being invisible, was not being noticed, was not being valued. And so he'd have the spiky hair and the funky clothes and all this. And, and that was awesome to have this unique style. But I in looking at my own life, I think a lot of those superlatives just mirror back to us these gaping insecurities and this immense lack of rest. So this is my proposal. Hopefully it's coming full circle here that, that God longs for us to rest. This universal longing, it's universal for a reason because <laughs> God put it there. And he desperately wants us to not find our rest in what we are doing and how we're achieving and how we measure up. He is so passionate about you coming to him just as you are. If you're waiting until you're perfect, you're just going to keep waiting. And if you're just checking this whole God thing out, not even sure, honestly, if he's there, I, and, and, and you're st sitting there hearing me say this stuff, and it's like, you know, that's a really far leap for me to think about trusting someone I can't even see with who I am and to put my rest there. And so my encouragement to you is if you are finding rest and peace in what you're doing, keep at it. But if you get to a place where it's just not working and it's just not cutting it, I just encourage you to come back to these words today. If you hear his voice, don't harden your heart. 
because he longs for you to find your rest in him. And for those of us that would say, yeah, I've signed on to this Jesus thing. I've, I've thrown in, I am all there. This is what I'm gonna focus my life on and I'm gonna follow him. How are you doing on this topic of rest and peace? Would your friends and family say that you are characterized by being a person of peace and rest? A little few indicators might be when you're driving, if this <laughs> is a constant posture for you and maybe slightly more colorful ones that only involve one or two digits, then probably not really a person of rest. And, and you could say, well, I'm just like that when I drive. I'm sorry, it, it, out of the, <laughs> Jesus said something like out of the mouth, um, uh, out of the heart, the mouth speaks. Well, I think there's still some overlap there with out of the heart, the person drives. So it's indicative of something. Even, and I've been challenged uh, in this with Jackie. Jackie's helping over in Kids Mosaic this morning, but um, where she just will leave her phone like on the counter and just not touch it or look at it <laughs> for extended periods of time. I mean, that just freaks me out. What if I'm needed? And I'm like, really? I mean, what are they going to need me for? I mean, I, I, will, I will pray anytime. And if you want to call me and we'll pray. But like, I mean, other than that, I don't really know what I'm needed for. So it's like this idea of, of when you look at your life. And, and if you want to be bold, ask the people that live with you, that know you. You know, am I a person of rest and peace? And it's so funny, too, that this is falling on Mother's Day because moms... Oh, props to you. I mean, to be people of rest and moms, I mean, that's a miracle in and of itself. So, you know, ask the people around you, it, do, do I, and, and if not, if I don't exude peace, just honestly, today if you hear his voice, it's also that we're talking to God and that he wants to speak with us. I mean, that's what that verse also communicates there. So, God, I want to be a person of peace. I want to trust you. So, recognize the rest inhibitor and then think through what is the general principle of who God is that I'm not believing and then ask God to help you believe that. Study the scriptures. Do a word search on that character attribute and just read up. If, okay, if you think God is weak, do a word search on strength and just look at how God is strong and ask him to help you believe that. So the whole point of this morning is to question where we put our rest, because it really is indicative of whether or not we are resting. And my further proposal would be, who do you put your rest in? Because it's really either you or God. And that's tough for us to hear, because I just, I think I'm God so many times, apparently. <laughs> so, just if we can get to that place where we say, God, I do want to experience this wonder, this rest that you've created. Um, and if you're not there yet, awesome. Uh, that is totally cool. And, and if you do want to talk with anybody on that, anybody with a name badge that's going to be standing around the perimeter, um, please uh, grab one of them. Just talk to them um, or talk to me about that because we were meant to experience that. I'm going to pray and then we'll have a few announcements and we'll be done. God, I just thank you so much for just 
really breaking me in such a small way uh, in this area of resting, Lord, and just finding our, our hope and our, our trust in you and not in, in what we are doing or what we are striving after, uh, Lord, but we're actually trusting that you are who you've said you are, Lord. And I just pray that, that even if we just were to start believing a tenth of what you said about yourself, God, I, I just think our lives would change so drastically. God, and for those of us who really are having a hard time even seeing you um, as existing or even this conversation I'm having right now with you, that this is just seems weird and forced. And uh, God, I, I ask that, that you would even just speak peace and rest on, onto those who are really struggling and searching and, and trying to find if, if all this is really even real. Lord, you are so good to even um, offer rest to us and that you've offered that um, through your son and through access to him, which gives us access to you. And I just thank you for not waiting until we were worthy to do that. Uh, you are awesome. Uh, God, I just thank you so much for this opportunity this morning. Please challenge us and direct us uh, and help us to trust you in all that we do. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this production by Mosaic Whittier, a community of faith, hope, and love. For more information about Mosaic gatherings and events, please visit mosaic.org.